This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. If you're enjoying the ideas and inspiration from the wide variety of guests and their experiences from the last five seasons of this podcast, just know that the best way to take the next step and deepen your knowledge in order to apply the skills and learning to regenerate your world is to read a book. New Society Publishers' vision is to provide the world with fundamental tools to help build a just and ecologically sustainable society, and many of the guests that I've interviewed here on the show are authors published by them. You can find all of their work in ebook, audiobook, and classic paperback at newsociety.org. Hey, and welcome back, everybody. Now, over the last decade, I've begun to see a subcategory of permaculture learning start to gain attention. As more and more people encounter the principles of this ecological design framework and experiment with different ways of applying it in their lives, there's been an emergence of social permaculture to integrate the patterns of nature to tackle inner challenges. The wonderful book Human Permaculture, Life Designed for Resilient Living by Bernard Alonso and Cecile Guichon was my first introduction into this realm, and since then I've wanted to bring an insight into some of the ways that these concepts of permaculture, which were so influential in my learning almost a decade ago, could be used outside of the garden. So thanks to a kind recommendation from David Holmgren, I reached out to Luby McNamara, a pioneer of personal and social permaculture in the UK. Luby is an author, facilitator, designer, gardener, and a mother who has written four books, Cultural Emergence, People in Permaculture, Seven Ways to Think Differently, and Strands of Infinity. She first came across permaculture in 1999 and was deeply inspired by the collective learning environment and the focus on emerging solutions through collective wisdom. Since then, she's been deeply immersed in the permaculture movement and has been a trustee and chair of the Permaculture Association and senior diploma tutor. Luby has been teaching since 2002 and has run many courses, including a dozen teacher trainings. In 2016, she set up the Applewood Permaculture Center with her family, where they run courses and grow food. Now, in this interview, Luby walks me through her journey of learning and development of permaculture principles in the social space and how it can be applied to community dynamics and the concept of cultural emergence. We also explore how we learn from the patterns of the natural world to inform healthy personal development and so much more. Now, this is still a new concept to me, and I'm working to understand it from multiple different perspectives. So I hope that the novice questions and the uncertain responses aren't too simplistic for those of you who are listening who probably already have a better grasp of the topic. But so from there, I'll hand things over to Luby McNamara. Why don't we just uh, jump in and start from the beginning? I'm really curious, especially how you began to develop the learnings from permaculture into the social space, because I know there are a lot of aspects that can be applied to both realms, but of course, it does tend to be taught through gardening and applications out in the ecology. When did you figure out that you could make these transitions relevant to the social realm as well? Hmm. Well, I did my permaculture diploma following my PDC um, so I started that maybe 2000 and finished in 2003 and um, in that time I looked at how um, you know one of my designs was about a women in permaculture camp that I was doing and then um, I was also at that time I had kind of followed my 
visioning and intuitive um, guidance into doing an adult learning um, course so to teach perm permaculture to adults and um, just to rewind on that story a little bit my um, when I was finished my PDC we did a on the last day we did a session around kind of visioning and what would be your long-term goals and visions and just to really put it out there in this unboundaried way of what would you like to happen you know what would be fun to happen what would be amazing to happen and to really let go of the kind of like the planning mind the rational mind the the like this internal saboteur that might say no you can't do that for whatever reasons and i just had so much fun on my pdc my permaculture design course for those listeners that aren't aware what pdc stands for i'd had so so much fun it was just one of the most nourishing experiences of my life that thus far i was in my early 20s i was doing my university degree at the same time and my university degree was loads of fascinating subjects taught in quite a dull way and the permaculture design course was like just this opposite experience where we were all invited into our creativity invited to collaborate to think outside the box to you know to explore solutions and to just really be a bit wild and adventurous with our learning um, and that was just so much fun that when it came to the what would be your long-term goals and visions I was just like well, wouldn't it be fun if I could teach permaculture? Not with the, you know, like sometimes now I do visioning in more of a kind of like, I really want to make this happen. I'm going to do design and make this happen. But that was just like put out there in this, you know, just like, just, you know, wild abandon of just kind of like, yeah, that would be so much fun. And then little did I know the power of voicing our visions at that time because then from saying that then there's an opportunity to meet with other permaculture teachers and I went on took that opportunity and then they, that people were saying well it's a great idea to do like an adult learning um, education course at, you know you can do them at any local colleges and then you know the lo and behold the local college did offer one and then I went on that and then they're like well you know this you need to actually go and get your teaching experience and so from then this this idea then became very real to me and I had to find other permaculture teachers to apprentice with and and actually do, you know plan organize courses myself so that was all really inspiring and my, I had a you know a young child my daughter was young at that time this was like 20 years ago and so obviously my time was quite limited so I was having to do this adult education course and teach permaculture and do my permaculture diploma so it made sense that all these three things interwove and you know this integrate rather than segregate principle rather than you know doing them in seeing them in isolation to see them as this this kind of three legs of the stool that would really support me in moving forward 
So then my permaculture diploma became about per designing permaculture courses and translating the principles of permaculture into teaching. So the principle, for example, of everyone, everything gardens that you think about in the landscape, everything gardens, you then in the teaching environment can become everyone teaches. And so then it's like, how do you support that multi-dimensional, um, multi-directional flows of learning in the classroom? So, for example, and um, and so that and so that was what you know became several of my designs for my diploma to really weave that in and to weave in my own pathway to becoming a permaculture teacher and that really showed me the flexibility of the permaculture principles that they can be translated to any environment to any situation and that they have power and strength in doing that. And so given this malleability of these principles, how can they be applied to social interactions and community dynamics? And what made you choose to focus on that aspect of application? Well, so then I started teaching permaculture and, um, and I realized that the permaculture principles have so much more potential and that permaculture in people's lives, when they really, grasp it it moves from like an interesting way of gardening to a lifestyle to a livelihood to a community of friends and like-minded people and that that shift is actually really common but not often talked about um and it, it's all not, not often written about as well it's like it, it and it's very tangible and visible to see the applications in the garden, but it's less obvious to start talking about how, you know, my relationship is improved by using permaculture design. We, you know, it's, it would be a bit strange to people to invite people to observe your permaculture relationship. <laughs> so it just doesn't quite work in the same way as come and see my permaculture garden. Um, and so that that was kind of one of the motivations was really seeing the potential um, for the permaculture principles and design to really improve our lives in so many different facets and to not get stuck in this you need a garden to do permaculture to actually see it as this whole operating system that can really change all of your interactions can bring you to this space of gratitude and solutions thinking and holistic thinking and using metaphors from nature in our own lives and really shifting those um the because some of the mainstream paradigms and ways of thinking that hold us in a consumerist culture that um you know hold us in short 
long-term thinking and that really are leading to the destruction of the planet and social injustices and et cetera, et cetera, at the moment. So um, to really see see them as useful and see the, yeah, really to move into the edges or, you know, move into the potential of permaculture for you know, uh, global <laughs> transformation, which is really what we're trying to do, isn't it? It's like, we're not, as permaculturists, we're not just trying to change how our food comes to the table. That is kind of one of the manifestations of bigger changes that are needed, bigger paradigm shifts that are needed for us to come into a healthy relationship with each other and with the planet. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that one of my biggest takeaways from my own permaculture learning was the ability to recognize patterns in the natural world and integrate them in with landscape design and even building design as I've often applied it. And I'm wondering how you found that we can learn from these patterns in nature to inform the healthy configuration of community structures and also for personal development. Mm. Well, let's start with personal development and the, that pattern recognition because um, uh, so when we start to see that we have this web of patterns and I refer to culture my working definition of culture is a complex web of seen and unseen patterns of thinking and behaving and interacting and feeling and these this complex web of of patterns that we we all have our own individual complex web as well as being part of other um, other webs and when we start to observe our own patterns we can then also start to pattern disrupt. It's one of the practices of cultural emergence is pattern disruption to invite change. And the so starting with that observation of patterns, we can start to see how maybe our sleep patterns interact with our eating patterns, interact with our work patterns, um, our energy levels and our family dynamics, how they start to all interweave and when we start to shift one of them that that can ripple out and have all sorts of positive or negative effects within that whole web of patterns so within our whole you know our whole lifestyle so that pattern recognition and that pattern literacy that you're talking about can really support us in shift in first recognizing them in order to then make positive interactions that can ripple out and and cause the whole um a, a whole shift in our in our, in our personal culture our whole well-being uh, and that's also true then on a community level or group level or family level where you can start to see the patterns of interaction there um, and, and some of the patterns from so that's kind of more of the behavioral thinking patterns there's also like the structural patterns of nature like the spiral or branching patterns which we can also use to um, to think of the configuration of our workplaces uh, you know where where are the flows of communication is it 
like a, a bird's nest and it's all like that that net pattern and communications all it's all happening all over the place or is it more like a branching pattern where it flows flows from one place and forks and then moves um moves forward in that way so we we can start to play with those those patterns of nature those structural patterns of nature as well in our community designs I love this idea of pattern disruption as a way of sort of auditing our own processes and figuring out where perhaps personal issues uh, for ourselves or maybe even in our, our communities might stem from. Can you perhaps give me an example of something that's come up in a course or maybe even in your own life that you can use as an illustration for how this sort of works out? Yeah, so pattern disruption is an invitation to move away from automatic pilot so to let go of some of the cultural conditioning that we've we've got embedded within our minds and within our bodies as well um i'm not i there's and there's quite some sort of easy ways in which we can start pattern disruption like so we can think about how we eat for example how quickly we eat and that's kind of a pattern, you know, and then we can actually sort of think, okay, could I really consciously try and slow this down to a bit more of a, a steady pace so I'm not just shoveling food in. And that, that takes, it takes a bit of effort to do that. It's, you know, it's, it's a basic thing, isn't it, about eating and we do it um, often, you know, most of the time without really being fully present. So so that's just a small example of how we can um you know start to shift one of the some of the patterns um i mean one of the things that happened uh, for me when i was writing actually people on permaculture i was very much using my right arm more um than my left arm and i ended up with quite chronic uh, repetitive strain injury and from that I realized as one that it wasn't just an issue a personal issue of my own it was a cultural issue as well that we live in a world that is very right hand biased and so we were constantly being invited to use our right arms more than our left arms we have to actually make an effort to use our left arms um, and so that's been part of the pattern disruption that I've had to do in my body to get myself more into realignment. And I did a design which I didn't want to call RSI, repetitive strain injury. I wanted, I, so I, because that's calling more of that in. So I called it um, regenerative arm movement. Uh, design and looked at how to disrupt those patterns and so I used my like my keyboard mouse my computer mouse with my left hand now instead of my right hand and have retrained parts of my body and really sort of paid attention to when I'm using my right um, side of my body more than my left side and try to disrupt that pattern and realign and and recognizing that it, a lot of it is done on automatic pilot 
and uh, and that automatic pilot has been conditioned by the cultural context we live in which uh, values the right the right arm more and it also um is it, it values the logical the that side of the brain as well the left side of the brain that um the left side of the brain that operates the right side of the body which is the logical linguistic um, rational side of things rather than the right side of the brain which is more creative intuitive holistic thinking so the, there's a mirror between literally between the the thinking sides of the brain and and the different ways we think with our brains and the different parts of our body that we use Mm. I really connected to that first example you gave of eating too fast. That's particularly one that I struggle with. So I would imagine that once you identify a pattern that you would want to disrupt, that you have something of a process to, to audit where it comes from and perhaps to evaluate options of working a disruption in or putting in a different objective of what you'd like to achieve once you've started to suss out the the origins of something that is not serving you in your life yeah absolutely and also you can disrupt the patterns just for the fun of it as well so you can just see what this is happens. an exercise in consciousness perhaps exactly exactly mm. <clears throat> and just see what happens what does happen when you um when you eat slower Do, does it then invite different conversations with your family members because you're eating a bit slower what what do you get bored what you know do you want to do you want to cook nicer food what happens just you know to to see that i mean uh, another example like maybe the eating example and maybe it's a bit obvious that eating slower is better but like maybe walking you know so it like walking slower maybe invites you to be more in your body and more observant um, of what's happening maybe you connect more with other beings or other people when you walk slower when you walk faster maybe you're getting more exercise and you're pushing yourself a bit harder and it's you know it's more invigorating so that example then either way whichever way you go it has benefits so it's not to say that one is better than the other it's just then you're yeah you're being invited more into consciousness and awareness and and switching away from that automatic pilot and then it might be that that pattern itself isn't it isn't the end goal maybe it is maybe uh, you know the eating slower might be the end goal of you know enabling you to eat less food but it might be that the eating slower has, uh, you know, knock-on benefits that you're not aware of, that you're, you know, that come as a surprise. So this is the emergence of it that they, that you don't necessarily know what could come out of that because we are non-linear beings uh, as people. So this um, this is where people designs people-based designs very different from land-based designs although i would just say that there is no such thing as land design without people a land design without people is called nature getting on with it 
once you introduce people into the system, then we are part of that system. And so it, it's, it, it becomes, we become part of that system and part of that design with all our um, cultural baggage and preferences and standards and paradigms and all of that. So, you know, we can't, we can't escape from being part of that as designers. And having said that, that, you know, there's um, when we, you know, when you plant an apple tree, you might get an abundant crop of apples. You might get uh, hardly any. The apple tree might even die. But you're unlikely to get plums or mangoes or something, yeah, or, or something really unexpected there. But when you do a design for yourself, like an eating design we're using the this um, idea you might get some really unexpected things that happen for, from just slowing down your eating mm. you know you might you might think it's really kind of like clear-cut okay I'm just slowing down my eating the end that equals slower eating but slowing down your eating might equal a whole lifestyle shift or a whole relationship shift or all sorts of you know it might give you more time to think that leads you to um, you know wanting to follow your dreams and create a whole social enterprise for yourself you know anything can happen from those small changes it's a non-linear process mm. and so you mentioned how this could potentially be something that just affects the thing that you disrupt but that it could also turn into whatever emergent uh, outcome that comes from pulling the threads that are connected to so many other aspects in our personal psyches. What, in your opinion, is this ultimate goal? And is it connected to the concept of cultural emergence that you've written much about? Yeah, so I, w I would say that there isn't an ultimate goal. Um, that That's kind of one of the um, reframings I've done moving away from permacultures being permanent agriculture and permanent culture to saying well actually there isn't this end point there isn't this blueprint for a regenerative culture that we're we're heading for that that is the ultimate goal there isn't one it's an ongoing emerging process is a natural phenomenon culture has been emerging since you know we sat first sat around a fire way back when um, and told stories of our hunting and gathering um, it you know it's been evolving since then so it's an it's an ongoing emerging process and it's um, the cultural emergence toolkit provides practices and principles that help us to emerge culture in a positive fertile beneficial healthy direction so it provides that container in the same way as like if you imagine bringing a, a you know a small group of people into uh you know well-held facilitated warm cozy room with a clear agenda and plan and lots of um you know, icebreakers and really holding the space for people to collaborate in 
and, and co-creating versus you know then something fertile will come out of that collaboration compared with if you put everyone in a really cold dark stuffy room and you're just you know give them a time pressure to get you know to, to produce a result and no no clear instructions and you know all of that you're you're much more likely to emerge an argument in that in that second scenario so and then if you imagine that on them bigger scales then the cultural emergence toolkit is likely to emerge connection and creativity and cooperation and empowerment versus um, disempowerment, lack of hope, social injustice, etc. So it's there's you know there's different um, spectrums of emergence between fertile and destructive and the the. So the Cultural Emergence Toolkit um, supports us in the direction of fertile emergence. But it is this ongoing process um, that is not a destination. And so that's, yeah, that's a different framing from permanent culture, which I know isn't... Um, doesn't necessarily mean permanent as in fixed or static it, it means something that's able to sus sustain itself but I just think the the framing is more useful around cultural emergence okay okay and so there may not be a sort of an ultimate objective that you're working towards but the things that you mentioned certainly show a preference for what kind of environment, what kind of interactions, connectivity, empowerment, like you mentioned, you're trying to achieve. And so what are the exercises and the toolkit, like you mentioned, working to add value to an experience or offer new options uh, with which to work towards? Um, I guess I'm struggling because I'm trying to, it sounds like it's still coming to an outcome, but you were clear that there's not a singular one. Yeah, so there's like regenerative cultures, plural. Okay. So it's not trying to um, put this blanket of this blueprint across the entire planet and all of humanity. It's about saying that there's multiple cultures that can li live in harmony and coexist with each other. I mean, I say there's no ultimate goal, but the regenerative cultures. So this is, a, you know, if we have cultures that support personal leadership, collective wisdom and earth care. So if we have cultures that support those things, then we will have cultures that are healthy, productive, in alignment with the planet. Um, you know, and, and we know that we currently have cultures that you know we have war cultures rape culture chemical cultures you know all of different cultures that are kind of coming from this paradigm of separation from nature of competition of um, domination over nature uh, and that they are leading us in a direction that you know apocalyptic direction really it's it's quite uh, you know the the chaos is 
getting closer to the surface and bubbling over in many places. Um, so how how do we move towards a place that values everyone in society that is building ecosystem restoration that is building communities that is rebalancing social interactions across for everyone uh you know there's i mean actually if you went to kind of you know most primary school kids you could kind of come up with a vision of of the planet and regenerative uh, cultures it's it's not rocket science but it is quite complex how we move from here to there on a global scale well so given that complexity do you have a process or a framework to work through the well the inherent complexity of of that kind of a goal yeah, so there's three phases of cultural emergence which we start with. So that we're, uh, the the three phases phases are challenge and awaken, move and invigorate, nourish and empower. And the idea is to bring those phases into balance. Uh, so if we start with ourselves personally, but then this also uh, you know scales out as well. So the challenge and awaken phase, uh, like pattern disruption, is then one of the practices that supports this challenge and awaken phase. It moves us out of this automatic pilot and invites us into a space of questioning and open to possibilities. And so when we challenge our mindsets, when we become aware of, oh, what you mean? We have a per I have a personal culture. Oh, okay. That's you know that's quite revelationary for for most people. You know, it's only been recently since I've been working on this toolkit that I've that I've had that phrase of what's my personal culture. So becoming aware of culture, of systems, of the paradigms we're operating from, of pattern disruption, they all help us to move into the space of challenge and awaken. But we don't want to get too you know if you if we activate challenge and awaken too much it can be overwhelming it's like you know being bombarded with the statistics of climate change uh, just end up with us kind of wanting to hide under the duvet or you know in front of the tv vegging out because it's like it's just too much isn't it it's like ah um so we don't want to do too much of the challenge and awaken we need to balance it then with the move and invigorate which is about moving forwards getting things done designing visioning um being effective you know being leaderful you know being being an activist be you know doing stuff um and 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 that's great but then that also needs balancing out because if we do too much of that we end up in burnout and so it also needs to be balanced with the nourish and empower phase, which is about connection and surfacing our gifts and creative expression and peacemaking. And uh, so connection with nature and connection with ourselves and each other. And so that phase um, is also important. But also we don't want to get, you know, too much of that phase. I mean, it, we tend into in you know, Western cultures to 
rarely get into the space of too much of that phase but it is possible and it can become too comfortable in that phase and we're sort of we're, and we're a bit we end up losing a bit of empathy for others who are maybe in more in the challenge and awaken phase and we're a bit too like well I'm okay well you know what's the problem um so you know so that that again needs balancing so those phases all need balancing in our lives and that is a dynamic balance so it's not to say okay well if i do monday of challenge and awaken and tuesday of move and invigorate then wednesday you know it doesn't quite work like that it's a different you know that balance can shift for us at any time okay like uh, i think i've done a bit too much this week let's move into some more nourishing and power or uh, you know, different seasons of the year invite different um, different phases. And so each of those phases has practices of which I've referred to many of them um, in talking about them. And those practices are routines or habits that we bring into our lives. So it's not that pattern disruption we do on a Tuesday afternoon and that's it. It's like we're constantly inviting ourselves, constantly being aware of, okay, actually, I think I'm just operating out of automatic pilot here, even in the way I greeted you or, um, you know, the way, the way I'm doing things. Is there a different way in which I can do things here? So just being aware of that, aware of when our own personal culture is... Um, is guiding us in a way that maybe we're not being very responsible for so maybe even just you know how we're out in the world shopping and being aware of that we're operating out of you know automatic pilot and not making very conscious choices but then being aware that we are within this bigger cultural context that is is very much manipulating us to make these choices um you know buy this thing and then and then you'll be happy kind of thing or or and making unhealthy associations so like buying buy this thing and then you will be nourished and, and empowered but actually you're not <laughs> it doesn't equate it's like that new car doesn't you know therefore mean that you end up with a healthy relationship it's um even though the adverts say that it will <laughs> you know? sure sure yeah. And so how does one start with coming to understand where they are in their own level of balance and perhaps taking steps to uh, achieve better balance and move into a better personal culture for themselves? Well, some reflective time as well. I mean, you can plot for yourself like over the week. OK, you know, what's what's happening each morning or how you know how much am I getting um, of the different phases? And, you know, does that feel good to me? There are patterns culturally that happen. Like I think, you know, over the pandemic times, we've definitely had way more of the challenge and awaken than we did previously so collectively we've had way more of that challenge and awaken and i i feel like there's now a sense of wanting more of the move and invigorate it's like okay well this has happened but now i want to kind of channel that into some positive action 
in my life, in my community. Um, so, it, you know, the, the practices guide us into how to activate the phases. Mm -hmm. so, um, so if we want more move and invigorate, then doing some design work with the design web, for example, if we want to uh, more nourish and empower, then there's connection practices that we can do or self-care practices. So there's there's practices that help us to um, activate the different phases. Now, I know there's so many more directions that we could take this in, and this can go really deep, um, but perhaps we'll leave this for our listeners to explore more directly with you. Luby, can you give our listeners some ways to get in touch with you and how they can find more of your resources on these topics? Yeah, please do um, get in touch. I've got a website, cultural-emergence.com, and just sign up to the newsletter. Um, that's the best way to kind of just keep up to date with what I'm offering um, at the, these times because I'm often doing podcasts and Q&As and um online work as well as um, in-person courses so I've got some in-person courses this summer which I'm really looking forward to they really bring a lot of the nourish and empower um, phase having that connection with people so I've got um, luckily to live on a 20 acre small holding Applewood Permaculture Centre in the UK you can hear the bird song uh, around um, and so we'll be running courses here as well. So, uh, yeah, so, so and the website has got lots of podcasts and videos and such like. Yeah, I hope your listeners have started to kind of um, broaden their horizons of how useful the permaculture principles and tools can be for wherever you are in your lives. Because I, I know a lot of people maybe don't have that opportunity uh, to garden or to or, or maybe are looking for seeing a bigger picture of how how we can really create um, large-scale transformative change which is what we need at the moment and to really lean into this idea of non-linearity as a, uh, a message of hope that we might it might really look like we're facing a bit of a cliff face and is you know we're never going to make the changes that are needed but you never know it's like um you know when you're whipping a cream whipping cream and nothing's happening and your arms aching and it's just like ah oh, it's never going to happen and then suddenly it's just like ah oh, it's happened it's great so there's always this possibility for non-linear change that can support us and where we need to move to yeah, I completely agree. That's one of the messages that I've really been trying to get through on this show for a while is that there's so many ways that you can take part in change of culture and re regeneration, restoration of the earth. You don't necessarily have to have access to land or be passionate about farming or growing food. There's so many different entrance ways and everybody's skill set and gifts can be useful in these efforts. So thank you again so much for taking the time uh, to explain these things for us. I really look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks a lot, Oliver. Thanks once again to Luby McNamara. I'll be posting all of the links that she mentioned on the show notes for this episode on the website, where you can also find all of the previous episodes from the last five seasons. And before I wrap this up, remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the ongoing conversations happening around these topics on the Regenerative Skills Discord server. 
Now it's always free to join, and it's also the easiest way to get in touch with me directly. So if you're interested in helping to guide the direction and the focus of this show in the future, or to just get some feedback on your own projects and have some questions answered, it's all happening there. So come join the growing community of Earth Regenerators on the forum by signing up through the link on the website or through our link tree on Instagram. And that's our show for this week. As always, don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.